Welcome to the podcast for Real Church Coweta. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sharpsburg. You can also check us out online at realchurchcoweta.com or jump on Facebook at Real Church Coweta. We hope you enjoy this week's message. If we could go ahead and put up the, uh, the QR code for people that want to hit that. Uh, and uh, if you could just put your, if you're new here, you can actually put your camera on your phone toward that QR code and you can pull up the notes for today. And so if you're new here, I'd like for you to do that if you want to. Do I need to get out of the way for anybody? If I need to, let me know. Just tell me which way to move and I'll be great. While you guys are doing that, I want to thank you so much for being here today. I want to thank you so much for continuing to go through the process of going through the book of Romans. And if you're watching from home, I know there's people, several people that are watching from home. If you're watching from home, I'd like to thank you also for being here with us. And uh, Lynn's going to share that link. If you're watching from home, Lynn's going to share that link for you so you can go and get those notes as well. So we'll all be on the same page together. We've been going through the series, um, Unashamed, 100% Unashamed. The reason we title it 100% Unashamed is because I I 100% believe that as followers of Jesus Christ that we need, we 100% need not to be ashamed of what the Bible says. 100% we do not need to be ashamed of what the scriptures say. And today in our society you would have, people would have you think that we needed to be ashamed or not boldly proclaim exactly what the Bible says about various issues that are going on today. And one of the things that I was in a conversation yesterday with someone about is, is that I want you to know something that none of this stuff is new. Okay, there's nothing new under the sun. None of these things are new. These, these all go, these same issues. Listen, the scriptures were offending people back in Jesus' day as well, and even long before that. So this is not anything new that we're experiencing today. It's maybe more out there than you're used to, but it definitely is not something that is, is new for us. Uh, as we read the scriptures, we, we know that back in their day as well, there was all these issues that were going on. Our, our theme verse is this one, and I want to read this for you is Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. It says, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. And then it goes to 17 and says, This good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from the start to the finish by what? By faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. We've went through the background uh, and the history of this book. If you've missed any of these messages, you can grab them online. You can do it on YouTube, Facebook, or you can go to our Facebook uh, our, our, our uh, website, and you can grab those things. We're, they're also on the podcast as well. But we have given the background and the history. We've talked about God's righteousness. We've talked about God's wrath. We've talked about how we can know God through His natural revelation, how we can see. And the Scripture says in, in chapter 1, it says that, that people knew God and they knew Him. And how they knew Him was they could see the attributes of God all around them. And that's something that's never changed as well. And so we also began to look at, over a few weeks, we began to look at what happens when God pulls off his restraint, whenever he releases his restraint and says, fine, if you don't want to live without me, I'm going to pull off the restraint and you can do whatever you want to do. And we've seen those things happen before. Today we're going to look at chapter 2, but I want to tell you first uh, a little a little story. Listen, I used to really love Reese Witherspoon. Does anybody here really like Reese Witherspoon? Anybody? 
Yeah, Reese Witherspoon is a Sweet Home Alabama, the movie she was in. Am I wrong about that? Sweet Home Alabama, that movie. Yeah, so I really used to like Reese Witherspoon. You know, she was like, Reese Witherspoon is from Nashville, if you didn't know that. Her dad's a doctor in Nashville. And, like, I really used to like Reese Witherspoon until Reese Witherspoon got drunk and drove in Atlanta. Uh, and she was uh, pulled over. I don't know if you guys know the story, but she was pulled over. Her and her husband were pulled over for public intoxication. And there was a video that came out several years ago. And I hope you, if you liked Reese Witherspoon before this, you may not like her after. Because <clears throat> Reese Witherspoon... There's a video, and the, the police officer was so professional. Reese Witherspoon gets out of her car, and she looks right at the guy, and she says, Listen, um, don't you know who I am? And he said, What do you mean? He said, uh, Here's my license. Don't you know who I am? And he looks at her and says, Ma'am, I don't care who you are. You're drunk in public. It doesn't matter. And she said it again. No, you don't understand. Don't you know who I am? You're going to get a lot in trouble for this for who I am. And she kept down this path until finally, you know, you know how everything like that ends, you know. So that's, she, she got in trouble. And it came out on social media a couple years ago and it came out in the news and it made her look so bad because what she thought is, is she thought, she thought that because of who she was, that she could get out of things and that the rules necessarily didn't apply to her and that the, this, that, that the concept of law and order didn't apply to her. And you may think, well, how in the heck is he going to round this into chapter 2? Well, I am going to round it into chapter 2 because I want to tell you something. When we look at chapter 2, it's going to be a wake-up call for some of us, you and I. It's going to be a, definitely a wake-up call for the Jewish people that were the... Remember the Jewish people that were, had to come back to the church after they had been expelled. They came back to the church. And Paul is saying this. He's saying, and we'll, we'll read it in a second, but he's saying, I want you to understand something. It doesn't matter who you think you are. As a matter of fact, the best way we can do it is go to Romans chapter 2, verse 1. And it says this. Now remember, right before he has just listed off 30-something attributes of people that when you remove restraint, this is what happens in your life. He's just listed those things off. And here's what Paul says. Now you may think you can, you can condemn such people. So he's talking directly to the Jewish people. You know how you know that? Because the you there, when it says you, that's singular. That's singular. You may think that you can condemn such people. But you're just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do the same things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? And then it says this, don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? 
But because you were stubborn and refused to turn from your sin, you were storing up terrible punishment for yourself for a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seek after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers, but He will pour out His anger and wrath, and we talked about His wrath earlier, on those who live for themselves who refuse to obey the truth, which is Scripture, and instead he, he uh, live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps doing what is evil, for, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good, for the Jew, uh, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. God doesn't show favoritism. What in the world is going on here? Well, let me tell you what's going on. What's going on is, is that for all these centuries, the Jewish people have felt like they were the chosen people of God. And so because they were the chosen people of God, that God was going to protect them no matter what. And what they would do is, is they would look down on Gentiles. They would look down on people that weren't Jewish. And they would look down on them and they were saying, oh, you, you awful people. We can see it in Jesus' day whenever they refused to go through Samaria. They refused to go through through Samaria because they thought they were half-breeds. They would not go through Samaria. And Jesus, in his own wisdom, they would actually take the long road around. Okay, I'm going to tell you a little secret. I, um, I go uh, to Nashville. when we, we drove to Nashville yesterday. And I've gotten to where I don't go through Chattanooga. Okay, Because for some reason Chattanooga and Atlanta have the spiritual gift of road construction and traffic. And I don't know what it is, but they do. And so I can go to Birmingham and I can stop at Bucky's like I did Sat Friday, right? And 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 I don't know if you've ever been to Bucky's, but if you haven't, it's worth the drive. Just saying. Anyway, so I go through and there's no traffic and Birmingham's great and you buzz right through and there's no issues. It's just a lot longer. It's a lot longer. So that's what they would do. They would go the long way so that they did not have to go through and deal with the Samarians, and actually whenever Jesus talked to the Samaritan woman at the well, he was breaking all kinds of rules and regulations. First, he was a man, wasn't supposed to be talking to a woman. Second, he was, he was, a Jew, he was Jewish and he wasn't supposed to be talking to a Samaritan because they were dirty and unclean. They didn't get it. They didn't understand why they were there anyway. Because the Jewish people were better. And that's what they thought. That's what they thought. And I, I'm going to be completely transparent with you and tell you that a lot of people in our church think the same thing about people that are sitting out there as well. We do. See, we've been real happy these last few weeks when we've seen, oh, well, this is what happens to people that do this sin, or this is what happens when people do that sin, or this sin, or that sin. And what God is saying to you and I is this, and here's your first point, is that we're all in the same boat. I want you to hear that. We are all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. Paul is saying, you're no better than anyone else. We're all in the same boat. The police officer to Reese Witherspoon was saying, I don't care if you were in Sweet Home, Alabama. I don't care. We're all in the same boat. And we are all in the same boat. No one is better than anyone else. In God's economy, I want you to hear this. In God's economy, we are all on the same path. And that path is destruction. I want you to hear that. We are all on the same path. And that path is destruction. 
And the only difference between anything that you experience and what someone else experiences is, is that you have accepted Christ as your Savior and He has taken the punishment for you. So the only difference between you and someone else is Christ. That's it. But we're all on the same path. We're all on the same boat. We're all in the same level. And I'll tell you why we have to understand this. Because what we can do if we don't understand that, if we don't understand that, what we can do is we can judge other people. We can judge other people. We can get in our hearts that we can judge other people. And we can look down on other people. But you have to realize you're in the same boat. Christ is the only difference in your life. You're in the same boat as they were. You're in the same boat. And, you're, and we're going to see that a little later on, especially in chapter 3 and on. But, but the only difference is your faith in Christ. But we all have the capacity. Everyone here has the capacity to do the same sins that we read about in chapter 1. And God is very serious about us not judging other people. Let's read in Matthew chapter 7. And it will be up here behind you. Matthew chapter 7. You should have these scriptures on your little notes things. It says, don't, other, don't judge others and you will not be judged. And then in verse, verse 2 it says, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye? And I love this. Why worry about a little speck in someone else's eye when you have a log in your own eye? I'm going to stop there and explain that. It's interesting. It's interesting because have anyone ever got anything in their eye? You ever got something in your eye? Man, when you get something in your eye and you can kind of see it, it looks like it's this big, doesn't it? It's like, oh my gosh, I got a log in my eye. It's so obvious. What he's saying is, is this. He's saying, listen, it's so obvious some of the sins that you commit even though you claim to be holy, it's so obvious to other people that it looks like a huge log. So when you go and you judge someone else, especially to God, he's going, what about this and this and this? The only difference between you and that person is the blood of Christ. It's the only difference. Let's go to verse 4. It says this in verse 4, how can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get that speck, you know, get that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye. And then verse 5 says this, you hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Let's deep dive into that right there for a second. I want to deep dive real quick at that because I want you to understand what, I want you to go a little deeper what the scripture is saying. Here's what it's saying. First get rid of the log in your own eye and it says then you will see well enough. What does that mean? I want to tell you what it means. Seeing well enough, can I be honest with you and tell you that before I went through some of the experiences that I went through in my adult life, that I, a great example, and I've, I've shared this before, but when I was 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23 years old, I was the best parent that anyone ever knew. My brother would bring his son Hunter to our house, and I would watch Hunter and I would watch my brother be a parent and I'd go, my son will never do that. My son will never do that. No, that ain't happening. I would go through stores and I would see people whose kids throw themselves on the ground. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, 
just wait. Yeah, my son will never. I can't believe that those people over a Reese's candy bar, I can't believe that they're letting that kid do that. Not my kid. And then I had my kid. Right? And I did this. I was about two and a half years into raising my son. And I called my brother Jimmy. And I said, hey, man. He said, hey, what's going on? So what are you up to? He said, I'm working. I said, yeah, me too. Hey, man, I need to tell you something. He said, what are you going to tell me? I said, I want to apologize to you. He said, well, what did you do? You didn't do anything. Why are you going to apologize to me? I said, man, back when I was 21 or 22 years old, you remember when I used to be all critical of you and Melinda? And he immediately started laughing because he knew. He knew. He knew. I said, I was an idiot. What happened? Let me tell you what happened. What happened was that I now could see well enough to deal with the speck in that friend's eye, but before I couldn't. I thought I knew what was going on, but I couldn't. And that's the way it is with other people. When you've worked on yourself enough, when you have worked on these things with God, when you have wrestled with God in your own life, then you can help your friend. And you know why that is? Because when you've worked on your stuff, you won't come in an attitude of know-it-all. You will come in an attitude of humility. You will. So when I see people now in the store, Blake hasn't thrown himself down over Reese's in like six months. And so we're doing great. We're doing great. For those who don't know, my son's uh, he's 19. So anyway, but uh, I'm telling you, when I, see, when I see parents now in that store, I, I literally sometimes, you know, after they get them all settled and everything, I just walk up and I'm like, look, it gets better, I promise. It gets, it gets better, I promise, you know, because you can see. I always tell people all this. I said, you know, if you want to see how parenting is, and I love being a parent, and it's so rewarding, but, you know, sometimes it kind of stinks, right? And I'm like, you want to see parenting, you want to see how parenting is, just go to Walmart and walk around and look at the people that don't have kids and the people that do, all right? And you'll see, just, I'm not even going to tell you the ending. Just go do it. And you'll see the difference because, you know, you know, if you're a parent, you, under, you already know. So, but, uh, uh, you know, all the couples are holding hands and they're laughing you know with parents they're like going Timmy get over here and Johnny get... they're like all over the place here's the thing though I want to get back to the text here because I want to tell you something what the scripture here is saying is that we have to understand that we have to work on our own stuff before we can work on anyone else's we do so don't judge other people Matthew uh, John chapter 8 verse 7 says this it says they kept demanding an answer so he stood up and he said all right but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Whoever's never sinned, throw the first stone. This is the woman they called in adultery and they brought him out and threw him down. Whoever's never sinned, y'all go ahead and throw the first stone. And it's amazing because if you read the text after that, it said, and they started dropping their stones one by one. It said, starting with the oldest, going to the youngest. You know why that is? Because the oldest had wisdom and the youngest did not. Starting with the oldest, going to the youngest. 1 Samuel 16, 7, whenever they were going to choose a king, here's what it says. It says, but the Lord said to Samuel, he says, I don't want you to do this. Don't judge by his appearance or height. I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearances, but the Lord looks at the heart. I was in a conversation the other day with someone, and they were describing how someone looked. They were like, oh, yeah, you know, they look like this and look like this. And they said, can you believe this? And they, 
they're, you know, they're like, they're a student pastor and they look like that. And my whole heart was, was I was like, I've been doing this for 20 something years. I was like, heck yes. Are you kidding me? Of course, that's what we want. You know, we don't want a carbon copy. That's one of the reasons why I'm not huge on hiring people right out of seminary. Because I don't want them to pop out and just be like this clone of every other people in seminary. I've been to seminary, I know. It's a great institution. But until you work with Brandon, can you not be quiet? I love embarrassing Brandon. <laughs> he was talking about me earlier, too. I heard him. Anyway, but uh, anyway, I love you. He's turning red now. Thanks, Brandon. So anyway, but listen, on a serious note, when you, I want people that have had some life experience. One of the requisites, one of the prerequisites to working here for the church is that you have to have had a real job outside of being a pastor. I don't want anyone who doesn't understand that you get up every day and you go to a job that maybe you don't like and you do things that maybe you don't like and you work hard. I don't want anyone thinking that praying for other people is a strenuous activity. Are you with me? Or counseling other people. I want people to understand that there are people who sit in these chairs that go and work hard and have stress and do all those things. I want people to experience that before they come and try to minister to those people. That's important to me. It's important to Lynn. It's important to both of us because we've both done it. We've been there and done that. And I want them to understand. And so I don't want to judge. And that's exactly what he's saying. The other thing, the first James, James 1, 26 says this. James 1, 26 says, if you claim to be religious... But don't control your tongue. You don't stop talking about people. You don't start judging people. You are fooling yourselves and your religion, your walk with Christ is absolutely worthless. Worthless. It was interesting because one of the things that they wanted to talk about all the time, uh, and they do, we see a, a snippet of this, is the disciples was like, I wonder who's going to be the greatest among us. You know, oh, I'm sitting at his right. I'm sitting here. I'm sitting there. They argued about who was going to be the greatest. And what did Jesus do? He goes over, takes a bowl, takes, takes a water pan, and he starts washing everyone's feet. And then he says, listen, whoever's going to be the greatest has to be the biggest servant. You need to go lower, not higher. I had a friend of mine I worked with. His name was Randy Church. And Randy, if you're watching today, I love you. I'm going to call you this afternoon and chat with you about this very thing. I'll text you and let you know this because Randy, Randy is a, is a, he worked with our, at the children's home that went, my wife and I helped, help run. And, and Randy was a, was a, he was a godly man. He still is. He's a good person, raised his kids there, but Randy was a house parent there. And so Randy, it was Randy and his wife, and it was eight children that, that had been abused and neglected. Are you with me? And they had trouble and they, they did, did things, they, they acted out sometimes and, and they would be so frustrating. And so, and one day in chapel, they had this little bitty tiny chapel on our campus and we would all, all the staff would go to chapel and we went up to chapel and one of our staff members would speak at chapel. And so we would have worship and then we'd speak in this little bitty chapel. And Randy got up and he gave his testimony and his last words have stuck with me, literally have stuck with me. I think if I can do the math, I think it's been over 20 years now since I heard this, but it stuck with me. He gave his testimony. And at the end he said, and those kids out there that are acting out that we get so mad about. And he said these words. He said, I'm getting chills because I think about it. He said, but for the grace of God, go I. And I've never forgotten that. I've never forgotten, but for the grace of God, go I. What does that mean? It means that, but for God coming in and saving me, 
I would be in that same position. I would be in that same situation. I would be in that same thing, but for the grace of God go I. So when we see people and we see people we don't agree with, when we see people that are out in public, when we see all these different things, instead of having a judgmental attitude, what God wants you to say is he wants you to say, man, but for the grace of God go I. God, thank you that you saved me from that. Because everyone in here has had situations in their life that could have gone a different direction. But for the touch of God, it could have gone a different direction. Back when the tornado happened in 1999, my wife and I, we were there. I had gotten a job. It had been recently gotten a job as a part-time youth pastor. I'm going to tell you something. I wouldn't have been at church on Sunday night had I not. But God helped me land that job, and I was teaching in church when the tornado came and destroyed our home. But for the grace of God, go I, I would have been dead. People two doors down from me were dead. Two of them were dead. It destroyed our whole home. But for the grace of God, go I. We're all in the same boat. What's the one thing that keeps us? There have been many ministries, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but there have been many, many ministries recently in the last four or five years that have fallen. Okay, And they've fallen because of secret sin. They've fallen because of all kinds of issues. But there's many ministries. There was Ted Haggard out in Colorado who, who fell. Because of a secret sin. There was Ravi Zacharias who fell because of a secret sin. These people are godly people that have made impacts on millions of people, but they fell. I think of James McDonald, okay, out of the Chicago area. I think, and you may not know these people, but I think of Mark Driscoll. These people have fallen, they have fallen, and, and you can root it back to one big thing, and the word is pride. Pride. And here's what I think the scripture here is trying to tell the, the Jewish people, and he's trying to tell you and me too. He's saying, listen, you can kill the pride because we're all in the same boat. And the only difference between you and these other people that you're judging is Jesus Christ. That's the only difference. That's the only difference. Let's go to number two. God is patient. He's not passive. God is patient. He's not passive. One of the worst things in the world, you guys, is a passive father and a passive husband. That's one of the worst things in the world that I have seen in my ministry life is a passive, passive husband. Because the role that we've been set for is to lead and to help guide a family and guide a community and guide a church. Is to work, work and walk arm in arm with a spouse and to walk together to build what it is that God has called you to do. But when there's passivity in a, in a male, I, what I see is, is I see the, the, the female of the, of the group having to carry more of the load and stepping out of what they feel most comfortable with. They can't do it all by themselves. There's nothing worse than passive. I want to let you know something. That's not who God is. I want you to get that. That's not who God is. That's not God. As a matter of fact, in 2 Peter, here's what it says. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord isn't really being slow about his promises. As some may think, no, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. So God is not, is not patient. He's being patient. He's not being passive. God is being patient, not passive. It's interesting because for over two years, 
for over two years, I did not give my life to Christ. I didn't. I heard the gospel when I was 16 years old. And it took almost to my, it was two days before my 19th birthday when I finally gave my life to Christ. Literally, it was two and a half years. And the people that were talking to me, I would see their, I would see who they were, and I would see how they acted. And over and over and over again, they would tell me and they would watch me. And after a while, after a while, they stopped telling me about Christ. You know what they did instead of telling me? They started showing me Christ. I would come over and they would be doing a Bible study. And it wasn't this, you know, some kind of awkward situation. You know, the mom would be preparing dinner. The, the dad would be sitting at the table. And he would be sitting at the table with his Bible open reading. And she'd be talking to him and he'd be talking. And then the daughter would walk in who I was friends with. And they'd be talking. And it was, it was, this, it was this thing. And they knew I was listening the whole time. They were being patient. They didn't get frustrated with me. They were being patient. And they ended up, after a long period of time, on a Sunday night, February 18th, 1990, I gave my life over to Christ. They weren't the only ones that were patient with me. God was patient with me, too. He was patient with me. And the reason why, and I want to read this again, it says, Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? He's being totally kind, loving, and patient. Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from sin? I want to tell you guys something. And maybe you have. I've never met anyone who was beat over the head with the scriptures into salvation and the knowledge of Christ. I never have. I've never met anybody. I've never met anybody. I've never met anybody that responded to people being judgmental. I've never met anybody to, that responded to people that were like, well, come be like us. We're better than everybody else. I've never met anybody like that. I haven't. You know what I've met? I've met people that responded to kindness. It's interesting. The... Um, the kids, the kids, uh, the small group tonight, uh, I don't want to give away all your small group stuff, but Wendy and I were talking about it um, a couple of days ago, and the girl's small group tonight is going to be talking about the image of God and being made in God's image. And one of the things that they would do, and I shared this with you when we talked about idols over the summer, but one of the things that they would do is, is the kings at the time, would, would, they couldn't be everywhere at once. And so they would, place, they would place statues of themselves all over their country, their territory. They would place all these statues. And it was in their likeness. And so that was a representation of who that person was out in the area. And I said, why is God so against us creating something in the likeness of God to place everywhere? Well, because he's already got that. It's us. We are his representation. We are the ones that go out. We are the ones that show the kindness. We are the representations. If you want to say it like this, we are the statues of Christ. That's who we are. And we go out and we do it through kindness. See, what he's telling the Jews here is he's saying, God is not being passive He's being patient 
And his patience is his kindness because he doesn't want anyone to be lost, as Peter said. He wants everyone to come to a saving knowledge. But we can't do that if we're constantly trying to tell other people that we're better than they are. And I'm not even telling you that you say it. No one's going to come and say, hey, I'm better than you. That'd be ridiculous. No one's going to say that. No one's going to. But you know that little thing you feel whenever you're driving somewhere and you see somebody and you're like, hmm. Maybe that thing you feel when you're driving, and don't tell me you don't do this because I know you do. This thing you're driving and you see a bumper sticker, and you disagree with that bumper sticker so much that you'd like to get out and rip it off. You know what I'm saying? And then you slowly come by because you're doing the speed limit, right? Anyway, you slowly come by and you're driving and you've seen the bumper sticker and you glance over. (sighs) You know? You know what always ticks me off in that when I see a bumper sticker like that? I see a bumper sticker and I don't agree with it and I'm driving up beside them and in my mind they're going to look one way and then I look and they look like me. And I'm like, well, that's not fair. You're not supposed to be that way. You're supposed to be another way. God doesn't want us doing that. Why? Well, because the playing field is now even. See, the playing field is now even. We're all in the same boat, but the playing field is now even. See, God, God, with the Old Testament, the chosen people were chosen to bring forth the Messiah, but the Messiah had come. And so the Jews, thinking that they were better than everyone else, especially in the God territory, thinking they were the chosen people, they thought themselves higher than they should. But when Christ came, and, and, and some of the rituals that they wanted to do, some of the, the laws they wanted to keep, and we'll get into all that, but he was like, listen, we are all on an even playing field. We're all on an even playing field. I want to admit something to you today. I know my mom's watching, and I'm going to say it out loud. Mom, I know you're going to be mad, but listen, I'm the favored son. I am. I got two other brothers and whatever about them, but I, I am. I'm her favorite son. I was the baby. I know that shocks everybody that I'm the baby of the bunch. Um, but I'm the... Uh, I'm the favored son. I really am. And, um, you know, every once in a while, I, I joke about it with my mom. I said, hey, mom, what about a little PayPal? She knows what that means. It means slip me a little bit of cash, right? And so, and then my mom on, on birthdays, my mom, we get, we get, I think we get 30 bucks now. It used to be 50. Mom, you need to up your game. But anyway, so, but I'll call my mom and I'm like, hey, mom. We both know that you're not going to just send me 30 bucks, right? I mean, we know that, right? I mean, let's, I know, and it always ends in the same thing. And I hope my brothers don't watch this, but it always ends in this. Well, don't tell your brothers. That's what happens. That's what happens. I'm the favorite. Duh. Of course I'm the favorite. And I don't want to say anything about this, but Blake's the favorite grandkid too, but we won't even go there, all right? We won't even go there, so... Um, yeah, we wouldn't go there. It's interesting, though, and I say that I say that jokingly, somewhat, kind of. But anyway, um, I do say it kind of jokingly. But but God doesn't show favorites, you guys. 
he doesn't show favorites. In 10 and 11 it says, But there will be glory and honor and peace from God uh, for all who do good, for the, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. He doesn't show favoritism. He's an equal opportunity God. He doesn't show favoritism. Man, we really want him to show favoritism, don't we? Because we've done so good. You know what I mean? We've done so good, we really want him to show favoritism. It's like, you know what, God? Man, I give. God, I think, you, I think I'm the favorite. That's what we want. But the truth of the matter is, is the scripture says that the very best we can muster up within ourselves is filthy rags in the eyes of God. And so he's like, uh, okay, so you're just a little, you're, you're a couple of little smudge marks less dirty than the other guy? Get out of here. It doesn't show favoritism. He's an equal opportunity God. As a matter of fact, God can't stand favorites. He can't. Colossians 3.25 says this. Colossians 3.25 says, But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you have done. And here it is. For God does not show favorites. He does not. He's an equal opportunity God. Both ways, that's what's going to happen. In Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 36, here's what it says. Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 36. It says, Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. And it's interesting because then Peter's going to go on to write that he wants all to be saved. In every nation he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. And then 36 says this, This is the message of the good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. That's what it says. In James chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says this, James chapter 2, it says, Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the Scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. What is my point today? Here's my point. I decided today to do this, and I may continue doing this in some messages, but I wanted to give you some applications for today's message, and here's what they are. Okay, the application is this. The first one is don't judge others because they sin differently than you do. All right? Don't judge others because they sin differently than you do. And here's the truth of the matter. Oftentimes, we, we, we judge people Because we don't want to take the time and the effort to love on them in order to help them understand their sin or their wrong. We don't want to take the time to do it. It's much easier just to say, oh, well, they're this. But in every situation where I've seen they're this become a follower of Jesus, you know what's happened? One person has come in and has loved them and has helped them and be patient with them. And the truth of the matter is, is that none of us oftentimes want to take the time to do that because we're too busy dealing with our own stuff and too busy doing life that we don't want to take the time to do that. But that's the facts. Don't judge people because they sin differently than you. The second one is be humble. And speak in love. When you speak to someone about a situation, be humble and speak in love. The third one, and this is huge, this is huge. Focus on your own growth instead of others' failures. Focus on your own growth 
instead of others' failures. Let me tell you what happens when you focus on your own growth. You focus on your own growth in Christ and your walk with Christ. You focus on your own growth and others' failures are going to slowly speak by. Because you know what you're going to think? You're going to think, but for the grace of God go I. And it's going to automatically humble you. I've got a friend of mine who's been going through a really tough situation. And they kept trying to push their way out of it. And I said, listen, I want to tell you something. I don't want you to stay in that tough situation any longer than you do. I don't want you to stay there any longer than you want to stay there. But I want to tell you something. I think you're trying to short circuit what it is that God is doing in your life. I don't think God has showed you everything he needs to show you at this point. And I think you're trying to get out of that situation by your own means. And so with you doing that, God continues to bring you back in it because he's not done teaching you yet. He's not done teaching yet. And that's what happens. Focus on your own growth instead of others' failures. And then remember Romans 3.23. Remember Romans 3.23. And here's what Romans, if you're a Baptist and you don't know Romans 3.23, you got issues. Romans 3.23 says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Don't judge others because they sin differently than you. Be humble and speak the truth in love. Focus on your growth instead of others' failures. And remember Romans 3.23. And that's the message I feel like God had me bring you today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you so much, God, that, that we have the ability to accept you and to walk with you. And God, my prayer is, is that you would change our hearts into hearts that don't judge other people because of their, their particular sin, but that they see them the way you see them. Let us see people the way you see them, God. Let us see people with the heart that you have for people. And so, God, I pray today that even beginning with me, that you would humble us. That you would let us be a church that loves other people. And you would let us be a church that combines your truth and your word with a gentle, compassionate heart and that you would use us for your kindness to bring people to a saving knowledge of you. Lord, we love you and we thank you for what you're going to do in our lives. Lord, my prayer is is that we don't short circuit what you're trying to teach us, but that you let us go through the process and that we're no different than anyone else. That we're no different at all. We're all in need of a Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and let's sing our final song today. Thank you for listening to the podcast for Real Church Coweta. If you have any questions or would like to contact us, please visit our website at realchurchcoweta.com and click on the Contact Us tab. We invite you to join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. in the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sharpsburg. Until then... God bless and remember to love God, love others, and live real.